to a Gentile, uh, Gentile audience, but we know right in the beginning of Luke's gospel uh, of how and who he wrote to. So go back to Luke chapter 1. There has been little debate in, in history that this was actually written by the, the, the good Dr. Luke. Now, Luke was not one of the 12 apostles. Uh, Luke, we, we first kind of comes onto the scene in, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13 in the we passages. So Paul was probably, uh, or, or Luke was probably Paul's uh, tr- uh, doctor, his personal doctor as they, as they traveled. Um, we think that Luke was paid, um, was, had, had a patron named Theophilus. Okay. Theophilus really just means um, fearer of God. That's the name in, in the Romans. It could be a, fictic- a fictitious person here, but probably is someone who paid Luke to research uh, Christianity and give a defense for why Christianity is good for the empire. Right? So Luke uh, prob- wrote the, the Gospel of Luke, which is 24 chapters, and Acts, which is 28 chapters. That combined is 27% of the New Testament. So Luke actually wrote more than the Apostle Paul. Wrote less books, but he, more, more in volume. So go back here, right at the beginning of, of Luke, chapter 1. It says, Inasmuch as, as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us. Right there, what you notice is that there have been others who have tried to write the story of Jesus. So we probably think that Mark and Matthew were written prior to Luke's gospel. Uh, there's a lot more stories in Luke that are not in Mark and, and Matthew. So he is, kind of has a different aim. Verse 2. Just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have, them, have delivered them to us. So the apostles, the ones who were with Jesus, who saw them, they passed that on to us, the church. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So you see Theophilus is is probably a Roman official. The only other time the title most excellent is used in the the Gospels, or really in the New Testament, is is in Acts 26, in reference to uh, a governor, a Roman governor. So this idea is probably a Roman official. He's probably a, either he's a believer or he's been instructed in the faith. We don't know exactly know whether he's a Christian or not, but we have an idea that he was at least open to uh, the Christian faith. Now remember at this time, Christianity was not looked at favorably in the empire. You know, Jews were tolerated by the Roman Empire. They, kind of let, they were allowed to do their own thing, but they weren't trying to overthrow Rome. Then all of a sudden, you know, in uh, 33 AD, Jesus comes on the scene, dies, and out of the, the death and resurrection of Christ, the church is born. And the church has a whole different effect upon the empire. empire because the, the Christians are believing that Jesus is Lord. No longer Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. So now they have a, this, 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 this tension is kind of rising in the empire. So what you see all the way through the New Testament is that the, the writers of the New Testament want the church to respond respectfully to those who are in authority. So I think one of Luke's aims is to show Theophilus that the church is a blessing to the nations, is a blessing to the empire of Rome. His main goal is to do an apology or a defense of Christianity, why Christianity is good. That's why it says to write a, I've been following things closely for some times past 
to write an orderly account for you. So what Luke did is Luke did a research project. Luke met with eyewitnesses. He probably had a lot of his ministry, a lot of his information from uh, the women who followed along with Jesus. We'll get there in, in a moment. Um, he probably talked to Paul and Peter and all the apostles because they were close in the, in the early church. And he just studied what people were saying about Jesus. And he wrote more of a chronological, orderly account of Jesus' ministry as a defense of this is what really happened. Now remember, who's his audience? His audience is not everybody, although it has a large application. His audience really is specifically to Theophilus. But it's a history book. It's more of a historical biography. So if you read Luke and Acts together, it's a good picture of life in, in the early church. So you, you notice right at the beginning uh, of Luke's gospel, you see chapter 1, the, you see a lot more prophecies and stories about Jesus' family. So you see the birth of John the Baptist being foretold. Uh, you see Zechariah uh, there on the scene uh, and, and the prophecy. Uh, the birth of Jesus is foretold to, to Mary. And then you see Mary uh, visits Elizabeth. Uh, the, the baby in the womb leaps for joy. And then go to chapter 1, verse 46. Chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So the first main teaching in Luke's gospel is by Mary. Now, we kind of look at it in our 21st century eyes that Mary is often highlighted, especially in Catholicism, as this um, important figure in the church. But back in the first century, this was not a, 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 a wise move if you're going to go on historical account because women were not looked at as, as reliable witnesses. So right off the bat, what Luke is doing is he's taking the, the lowly, the, the outcast, the ones who are not looked at favorably women, and he's doing this. He's highlighting them right off the bat. And even the way Mary looked at herself, that she looked at on the humble estate of your servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the hearts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Mary's uh, song and prayer is so important because what it's doing, it's showing that God shows his grace on the humble. You, you start to see the beginning of Luke's gospel where he's trying to almost flip things on their head. Where in 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 that day, the outcasts, the poor, the, the uh, women, the disabled, the sick, were all kind of put over here in an outcast of society. And what Luke is doing is God loves them. Look at how God's gracious to them. So he kind of shows this great reversal. So if you have a hard time loving the poor, if you have a hard time loving people who don't look like you, you need to spend some time in the Gospel of Luke because that's Luke's purpose. Luke's purpose is that you would have value for all people. You even see this in how he 
Luke chapter 3. We'll just jump there for, for uh, briefly. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. So it says, When Jesus began his ministry, about 30 years of age, beginning and being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matat. Go all the way down to verse 38. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Luke speaks of the genealogy of Jesus. He doesn't bring, begin with Abraham or David to David like, like Matthew does. He goes all the way back to Adam. Well, why? Well, he's trying to say that Jesus Christ is the Savior for all people, right? Even the, the poor, even the, the woman. He is the God of everyone. That would have been profound for his day. A couple of interesting things right off the bat of, of uh, Jesus' ministry, or the birth of Jesus. Go to chapter 2. Chapter 2. This is the only time we see the shepherds and the angels, right? Um, Chapter 2, verse 8, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Jump down to verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. Now, many of us probably know that shepherds in that day were not looked at very favorably, right? They were looked at as kind of rough around the edges. They lived out in the fields. They were probably more looked at as thieves, uh, kind of hustlers, kind of get, getting by. Um, and that's who God chose to show that he was born to. Now, all the other Gospels, we don't believe this is true, this happened. That could have been talked about in Matthew. It could have been talked about in Mark, but it wasn't. It was talked about in Luke. Why? It's because the shepherds were not respected. And Luke is trying to hammer home this point. Even how he structures this gospel, it's chronological, but he's trying to show that God came for all people. All people! We need to hear that more and more and more and more and more in our day. Because the natural tendency for us is to only go after people who are like us. People who make us feel comfortable. People who, are, who, who have our same interests and hobbies. But listen, if we are going to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to have people who do not look and act like us. We need to have people who are a different socioeconomic, the poor and the wealthy. Uh, the, we need to have people who are, look different than us. We need to have people from all different nationalities, all different races, right, in our body. And if that's going to happen, that means that we need to change and look at our hearts. You know, I, I, in, in my time here as your pastor, I have heard some things um, from the people that I think that are against the scripture and how we view others, right? Specifically how we view those who don't look like us. And I think that we, if we, we read the New Testament well and we, we, we dig, dug into the Gospel of Luke, we would see that God has a heart for all people. 
And I think that we just need to have more of one. You know, and I struggle with this personally uh, because for most of my life, I have always kind of ministered cross-culturally. And then coming to Park Baptist Church was the first time I wasn't really in a, in a place where I wasn't um, a minority. And um, a couple of years ago, I'll, I'll never forget this in, in my home. My son, um, we were talking about race and the importance of reaching out to others. And um, he just said something like, well, we never hang out with people who don't look like us. And it was kind of like a shot right to my heart. Because my whole life, that's all we ever did. And then, for some reason, kind of getting falling back into our, our normal patterns, we just stopped reaching out to people who didn't look like us. And I think that's the natural tendency for all of us. You know, how many friends do you have that, aren't, that don't look like you? You know, and I'm not saying that that's, we need to have tons, but I, when we want to analyze our heart. Well, where is our, is our, our, our priorities? Where are we investing our time? And if our congregation, if people of, from this neighborhood who were maybe a little bit rough around the edges, didn't smell the best, and uh, didn't look like us, started coming to our fellowship, would we have joy? Or would we start getting a little nervous around the edges? You know, I think, I think that if I look out, out at you guys, I think that most of you would be fine with it. I, I know you well enough now, I think most of you would be fine with it. But let's start praying that that happens. Let's start praying that that happens. Because God came to a young virgin girl who really had no respect and showed him his glory. And now God shows the, the shepherds, the outcasts of his, his power. So we jump to uh, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we see the temptation of Jesus. Uh, Jesus beginning his earthly ministry. Um, go to verse 16 of chapter 4. The only thing different in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew is that uh, Matthew probably does a chronological order of the temptations, and it looks like Luke inverts them. So the second and the third temptation of Jesus, he looks like he inverted. Uh, if you're going to be a, uh, a scholar of the New Testament, which I think we all should be, care about what the New Testament, someone's going to tell you, saying, I don't think that the New Testament is accurate because Matthew has the order of temptations this way, and Luke has the order of temptations this way. They, they both have their reasons for why they put them in that order. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The goal is not that they were tempted in this way, and at least for Luke's, Luke's standpoint, the goal is that he was tempted in that way. Does that make sense? But I think a key, a key verse in Luke is Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind and sat to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And, they, and he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Position heal yourself. What we have 
heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there are many widows in, Eli in, in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so they could throw him, off, throw him down the cliff. But passing through the mist, he went away. That is the key, I think, the key passage in Luke's gospel. Now, what Jesus is saying right off the bat, when he read that scroll, it's Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. He says, I am the servant of the Lord. And the ministry of the Messiah is going to be to the poor, to the captive, to the oppressed, and to the blind. Later on, when John was wondering, is Jesus the Christ? Jesus responds with saying, what do you see in my ministry? The lame walk, the blind see. The, the, the oppressed are, are cared for. I am the Messiah is what he's saying. So the, the, those arguments that we hear all the time from people say, Jesus never said he was God. Jesus said he was God. <laughs> you, you see it right here. And notice what he's doing. He, he's, he's saying this, and everyone in the church gathering like this is like, man, this, so much wisdom. This, this is awesome. And then Jesus goes on the offensive, and he looks right at Israel, because he's trying to show him that he is the Messiah. And Israel, the people of God, who should know what is right and what is good, they don't get it. They look right at him, and Jesus looked back at them and said, the reason why God was gracious in all of Israel to that Gentile widow was because you have hard hearts. The reason why God was gracious of, of all the lepers in, um, in Elisha's day to a Syrian, a Gentile. The Israel just doesn't get it. So instead of the, the people of God embracing the Messiah and running to him, Jesus points out that God loves the Gentile. God loves the Gentile woman. God loves the, the, the angry, rebellious Gentile king. That's who God loves. Bless you, Frank. You're welcome. Right? That's who God loves. And what happens when that, 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 is, that is said? The, the, the ones, Israel, who thought that they had everything. God says, no, we love all people. They got mad. They got so mad, they wanted to do what? Throw him off a cliff. Has that ever happened to you when you shared the gospel? People got so mad at you, they wanted to throw you off a cliff? Probably not. But don't you love this scene? They take him to the edge of the hill. They're about to throw him down. And then it just says, but passing through their mist, he went away. I would have loved to be in that scene. Like he's about to be thrown off. He says, okay, guys, I'm out. And let's see his part and just let him go. But I think what you see here, what Luke's trying to show, he's even showing how it's set up in this, in this scene that Jesus is the, the God of all people. And this is one of the ways of how the New Testament reveals salvation history, 
is that salvation history was promised through the Jews, and the Jews in the Old Testament were called to be a light to the nations. And yet, instead of being a light to the nations, Israel became a byword to the nations. They did not live the life that God required them to live. They did not radiate what it means to follow after Christ, but they, they became adulterers. They actually became those who even would slaughter their own children, right? That's what happened in Israel. So instead of being a light to the nations, they became a byword. So then for God came through Christ. Jesus said, I came to that which was my own, the people of God, but they did not receive me. But anyone who did receive me, i.e. Gentiles, lepers, outcasts, women, anyone who does receive me, they will have the right to become children of God. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel. The gospel is for all. So just kind of skip ahead here. You see Jesus kind of doing his ministry in Galilee. And then go to chapter 9. Go to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 18. We see this in all the Gospels. This is a turning point in all the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now it happened that it was, he was praying alone. The disciples were with him, and they asked him, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And what is the response? Verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Skip ahead all the way down to verse uh, 49. Actually, before we go there, just look at how this follows. Jesus kind of gives us a command of discipleship, come follow me. And then we see the 20, verse 28, this beautiful transfiguration, right? They go up on the mountain. And the first thing that happens after they come down the mountain, you see this, uh, this diseased boy with, an un, this boy with an unclean spirit that the, the, the apostles did not have the ability to heal by their own faith. And then the very next thing you see in verse uh, 46, an argument arose among them and said, who is the greatest, right? I am the greatest disciple, or you are the greatest disciple. And Jesus kind of flips it on his head and says, what, in verse 48? Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is all, you all is the one who is great. So what does Jesus do again? He flips it on his head. This is one of the reasons why it's such a blessing to have children in here on Sunday night. I've been so encouraged, guys, you kids, having you in here on Sunday night. It's such a blessing. You know why? It's because we want to be reminded of how um, Jesus loves you. And how we love you and how we care for you and how we receive you is a picture of the Lord. We want to be kind and gracious to you and how, 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 we, how, we, how we deal uh, with you. Um, and then verse 51 I think it's, it's kind of like the, the beginning of the travel narrative of Jesus. So in Luke 9:51 it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. This was the, the beginning of Jesus. When it says taken up there, it doesn't mean taken up on the cross. It means taken up in the ascension. He has this mind, it's time for me to, to go to be with the Father. But in order to be with the Father, what does he have to do? He's got to die. He's got to go to the cross first. So it's said that he set his face towards Jerusalem. 
So from 951 to Luke 19 is this beeline of Jesus walking to Jerusalem. It's called the travel narrative. Um, you see these great sermons throughout this section. So just kind of taking your Bibles, look at chapter 10 and 11. We'll just kind of walk through this very briefly. Uh, so chapter 10, you see this, the sending out of the 72. You see these great stories of, uh, of the outcast. The, Jesus highlights the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan, not the, the Levite or the scribe, is the one who's highlighted in that story. Uh, Mary and Martha, you see this great picture of, of women who, who are loving after, after Jesus. You have the, the story of Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer. Um, people who are not receiving Jesus called him Beelzebub, the, the, the prince of demons. You see more, some people following after Jesus, and you see the, the, the end of chapter 11, the, the Pharisees and the lawyers uh, don't follow after Jesus. And then in chapter 12, he kind of gives warnings to the, uh, his, his disciples. He warns them of hypocrisy, right? Do not have the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He warns them on their own greed. Do not have the greed of, of others. Do not love money more than you love, love me. And he warns them of fear. Fear me more than you fear men. And then you keep on going. Jesus is teaching. And then we get to chapter 15. And we see Jesus in his kindness showing the, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. All these are unique to Luke. And I think what, what Jesus is trying to show again and again is that he has a heart for the poor. He has a heart for those who are outcast. He has a heart for those who do not know him. And I think if you read the story of the prodigal son, it's really the story of the elder brother. It's this brother who's looked on the outside, while the, while the younger brother, the one who is a, a, the, the Gentile, who is, who's left and walked into uncleanness in the world, comes into the kingdom because he believes and trusts in Christ and in Christ alone. And even in our text this morning, we see those who, were, who, who had everything, the law, that uh, living, as, as, as Paul would say, as a Pharisee, they were outside of the Father's hand looking in. Why? Because they trusted in their own righteousness rather than in the righteousness of Christ. It's so these themes are kind of woven, woven through. Chapter 16 talks about us using our, our, our money um, well. The end of chapter 16, we see the rich man and, and Lazarus. And this great picture where Lazarus is, is poor in this world and the rich man had everything. And then upon death, what happens? That great reversal. Lazarus is at Abraham's bosom. He's at the father's side while the rich man is sent to, to hell. So one of the things I just want you to see as we kind of walk through this book, um, and then actually we'll close here in, in, in Luke 19. Luke 19. It's a good picture, I think, of the whole book. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And Jesus came to that place. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they were all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
So when you see Luke's gospel, it's twofold. It's how people receive Jesus and how people receive sinners. So if you want to be a true follower of Jesus, you have to receive Jesus and, and you have to receive sinners. Because if you're not willing to receive sinners, then you probably have not received Jesus. Because the Jesus of the scriptures always receives sinners. Look at how the story goes. And Zacchaeus stood, sorry, verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, he has gone to be the guest of the man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, a son of faith. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was Jesus' mission. And I just think, if that is Jesus' mission, is that ours? Is our mission every day to seek and to save the lost? And I think it's hard to to live our life with that mentality. It's so easy to kind of retreat into ourselves. But we're probably around people a lot more than we think who don't know the Lord. And we've got to be a lot more strategic in how we use our time uh, and how we reach out to those who are outside of God's grace. I said I was going to end there, but i got one more thing to say. Okay, I'm going, right? I've been preaching all day long, but I'm just going for it. Might as well do it, okay? Let's do it. Amen. All right. Thank you. My wife did not say amen. All right. Go, go. She was quiet. All right, Luke 24. Luke 24. We'll end here. Because this is unique to uh, Luke's gospel. I'm just trying to give you things that are very strategic and specific about Luke's gospel. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter. I'm going to try to do it quickly, but we'll, we'll be out here in three minutes. The very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. Remember, they were going away from Jerusalem. Jesus Christ had said he was risen from the dead, and they were walking away from Jerusalem. Away from the risen Christ. Verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. With one of them named Cleophas, answered him. Probably where Luke got the story. Remember, he researched this. And he says, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and, our, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned and, to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, past tense, that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. The, the disciples did not believe the women because they said we had hoped, past tense, that he was going to redeem Israel. But now some crazy women are, are telling us that he's alive, and they did not believe. But what did Luke want to show? They were right. Women are always right. Sorry. Women. All right, verse um, 21. Sorry, 22. Moreover, uh, I can't go. 24. Some of these, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found that just as the women had said, but they had not, they did not see. 
him that did not see. And they said to him, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Right there, what Jesus Christ says is the law, the prophets, and the writings in the Old Testament all are about Jesus. So every time we read the Old Testament, we have to look at it with Jesus-centered lenses on. We have to read it through the gospel story. This is one of the reasons why, kids, look at me, kids. One of the reasons why I love that you guys are going through the gospel project on Sunday morning is because you see Jesus in every story. Jesus in every story of the minor prophets. Jesus in every story of the judges. Why? It's because Jesus said everything in the Bible is about him. You're learning to read the Bible the way Jesus wants you to read the Bible. So continue to go to Sunday school and do your homework. You're welcome, parents. Just jump down to verse 44. We see this great commission. And then he said to them, These are the, my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the, the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and, hear this, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Beloved, that is our call. Luke wanted to show that we are witnesses for the gospel. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations. There is no one outside of the grace of God. There is no one who does not look like he was outside of the grace of God. We want to take the gospel to all nations, all peoples, especially the people in our own community, the people in our, in our neighborhoods, the people in this neighborhood. Because Jesus has commanded us and has shown us that he has a heart for all people, the poor, the outcast, and the hurting. And our job is to be witnesses unto him for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your word. We thank you for the gospel of Luke. God, we thank you that you are a God who, who uses every scripture, every personality and how the scripture was written to teach us your truth. So, God, we thank you for Luke's heart for the poor. We thank you how Luke showed that you love those who are outcasts. You love all nations. God, I pray that you would help us love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we would receive you, Jesus. And, Lord God, we would, that we would receive sinners. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.